0: I got a voicemail from my um, coach, my, my football coach in college, Coach Jeffries, and I want to give you a little background on it. I saw him in June, and um, we, had a, we had a reunion, and I saw him in June, and I had a chance to sit down and talk to him for about 15 minutes, just the, just the two of us. And um, great talk. He's 85 years old. He's a, he's a Hall of Fame coach, first black Division I coach in America at here at Wichita State. Um, is in in the College Football Hall of Fame and the the Black Football Hall of Fame and South Carolina Football Hall of Fame. Actually, he's going to be here tomorrow. They're having an event for him over at um, Cessna Stadium I can't go to, unfortunately. But he's um, Coach Boone from Remember the Titans. He mentored him. Coach Dungy mentored him. ESPN did a special on him. So all these kind of accolades, house full of trophies, traveled around a lot. But I just sent him a letter, a real simple letter, and I just told him that he had impacted my life. Pretty simple, back in June. So see if you can play the um, audio of of the voicemail.
1: Hey, this is Coach Jeffries Terry. Look, I laminated your letter. You know, you laminate so you can keep it. Uh, that was the nicest letter you sent to me. I appreciate it. Also, the your book is very, very interesting. Um, I changed over from Baptist. Now, now we're AME, uh, cause we travel around so much. But look, I appreciate this letter and, um, it means a lot to me, uh, you know, after retiring and to wonder, uh, what did I leave the game of football? This is it, the letter you sent to me. So I hope to talk with you. I, I called you another, on another day and I, I don't know if I left a message, but I wanted to be sure you got this message. You take care, and I hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.
0: So the thing I wanted you to get was, here's an 85-year-old guy with a house full of trophies, and he's asking what? What did I leave the game of football? And what, your letter is it. But the letter was indicating that I impacted the lives of people. Russ's coach was in town what in the last month or two, Russ? When was Coach? Yeah, he was in. He was in town. Coach Snyder and basically, you kind of got the same message, right? Then you kind of get the same. Uh, my coach, coach Paul Mary. Oh, Paul Mary was here, not Snyder. Paul Mary was here, and just and just the. Um, he's asked the same question, you know, touching lives, watching Russ go on touch lives. Coach Paul Mary was a strength coach, and most people come to this perspective at some point in their lives of this is what matters you know either with a sense of regret that I didn't touch lives or a sense of rejoicing and gratitude that I that I did touch lives. And I, I want us, my vision for us is that we live in a way that leads to rejoicing and gratitude that as life moves on as we if the Lord allows us to be older, but even in between, even if not, that we, we see what God has wrought from our life. This week I've been dealing with a, a family situation, where, kind of a dramatic one, where they're standing at a crossroad. And Christy asked me last night, how do you feel about this situation? And I said, I feel like I'm looking into the future. You know, and, and they're standing right here, and there's a path, and there's a path. And the paths right now, we're like they look like almost the same path. They're almost imperceptibly different but I'm seeing their life, I'm seeing the future, and if they take a step down this path, it looks almost the same, but 10 years from now, it's in devastation. And if they take this path 10 years from now, it's gonna be really good. And as I met with one of them this morning, I'm thinking, "I'm I'm not seeing your actual future, but I'm seeing two futures, and it doesn't look like that much of a difference in the choices you make right now. And so we continually stand on these diverging paths and almost imperceptible choices over the years that we make that lead to very, very different outcomes in our lives. Next year, we're going to spend most of the year, if not all the year, in the book of Proverbs. and It it focuses on the wise and the foolish path. One leads increasingly into God's abundance, the other increasingly away from God's abundance. And a truism is a statement that's so self-evident that you don't need to support it by any other evidence. And for me, a truism, you've heard ad nauseum probably, what matters most at the end matters most now. And relationships will matter most at the end, they matter most now. There is an additional component of that statement that is not maybe as overtly obvious, but is just as true, is the impact we have on other people's lives will satisfy us and gratify us most then, it should motivate us most now. A little bit of a different twist, kind of a leader's twist. I've heard it said from many people, Coach Jeffries and others, at the end of their lives, did my life matter? And it always means, did I impact people in lasting ways? Let me read a a, a quote from um, the Apostle Paul. He said, You yourselves are our letter, written on hearts known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And your ministry as a group leader is, God is using you to write Christ on the hearts of people. It's hard to see that week by week. Leading people rarely, if ever, feels epic week by week, yet it is. And I think if you were to ask Paul, does it feel epic, your ministry, he would probably say no, it probably hardly ever does. He dealt with a lot of people problems. He had these heretics in Galatia trying to lead people away from the gospel. He had these deadbeats in Thessalonica who were using the Lord's second coming to be lazy. He had all these health issues, prison time. But he kept this vision in front of himself that he was writing Christ, God was using him to write Christ on the hearts of people. And today we're focused on this joy, this privilege, the opportunity of mentoring through the venue of our group leadership. We're going to take a very specific focus. So... You've got a handout, and a handout is a, is a map. I, I, I haven't, I wanted this year to turn this into something more interesting. It looks like an actual map. At the back of the room, on the way out, you'll have a, a handout that's about eight pages long. I didn't give it to you because I didn't want you reading it. So don't get the whole handout, Neil. I don't want you reading it. Just the map. This is the front page. And you can take it home and read it. There's also another handout um, called The Resilient Life. It's about an eight-page handout that will help form some of the ideas we're going to look at as we go through Proverbs next year, but you can get those on the way out. I don't want you to get bogged down on this, um, but what this is is we've taken kind of all of our philosophies ministry related to group leadership, put it into a what fits on one page. It's on the website. You can click it, and it'll, it'll expand. The paper has it on there but what i want to do is as we as we train together like today we're going to train go to the next one now go back in a minute click okay today we're we're focused on mentoring but now as we go through training together there's 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 really three things there's there's the vision pretty simple there's lifestyle and those have a lot embedded in them and then there's responsibilities and those have a lot, mentoring, meetings, mission, and member care. As we train, it sometimes, I mean, this stuff is, is pretty well in my mind, but I look at it all the time. As we train, it can feel like it's just boom, boom, popping. We're all over the place. So what I want to do is as we come back together in October, as we come together next year, we're going to pull up this and say, there's where we are. Maybe two years from now, we're going to deal with leadership, lifestyle, communicate biblical belief, we're going to unpack that. So over time, as we and we're not gonna we're not gonna monkey with this. It's not gonna new and improve two years from now. We're gonna stay with it. You know, help me stay with it, Jim. Don't monkey with it. And um, Terry, I'm the one who monkeys with stuff. So, so what I want to do is is keep this map in front of you so you know where we're training. And this is a this is a snapshot of what it means to be an effective lit, leader who's multiplying his or her life in the lives of other people. So today we're going to zero in on mentoring and give an overview and a vision now i'll tell you that tonight is 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 almost all sit and get and sit and get is not the best way to train i know that but i want you what i want you to see tonight as part 1 of a two part training on mentoring so a lot of times we'll do friday night and then saturday for our leadership training that that becomes difficult for people so we decided we're going to do friday night It's going to be sit and get like this. And then we come back in October, we're going to work with the material. We're going to split up guys in one room, girls in another, and it's going to be interactive. So bear with me. Tonight is sit and get. Part two is going to be working with the material. So um, there are in this room some experts, some seasoned mentors. There are some people who are just getting started, and most people are in between. If you're a seasoned mentor, you you would... I could ask you. I know some of you are. You would say, "I need. I always need fresh vision for this. We all do." If you're if you're a, not a seasoned mentor, then this is good training. We call this group. We call you leadership community because you are a sub community, not a sub committee. You're a sub community charged with leading the larger community called River. So this is. We see this as leadership community inside this leadership community. We see one another as teammates, as mutual encouragers, as mentoring resources. People have different strengths and abilities. So we hang out, we eat sandwiches. Tonight after this we're going to get ice cream. The ice cream is not separate from the purpose of this. It's building relationships because there's resources in this room that you can use. My primarily, primary role as pastor, and, and it's the same for all the pastoral staff Our primary role is to train, organize, and equip you for the ministry. I do ministry along with you, but you don't pay me to do the ministry. You pay me to train, organize, and equip you to do the ministry. That's the biblical model. And that's where the life is. See, if I'm the one getting to do all the ministry, I'm the one having all the fun. I'm the one the Holy Spirit's flowing through. Because the Holy Spirit is is not going to flow through committees, so they can be better at committees, I mean, God bless committees, but He flows through people to do ministry, and so our job, my job is to equip you for that, and so we're called to lead people where He's placed us, so here's how I want to proceed, I'm going to, I'm going to ask and answer some questions that I've heard, collected over the years, and, and then I'm going to tell you a few things on my heart and mind, and then we're going to go eat ice cream, that's how we're going to go for, for the rest of our time, so I'm going to ask the question, and then try to answer it. First question, what do you even mean by mentoring? Give you a great verse. 2 Timothy 2-2. It's one of the easiest references to remember. 2-2. Mm-hmm. And the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men or women who will then be qualified to teach others. So you have Paul to the person to, to Timothy, to reliable people, to others. There's four generations in that one verse. So spiritual mentoring at its core is walking with Jesus and walking with others so they'll walk with Jesus. Mentoring, that's, that's, the, that's what we're trying to do with people at large. We're trying to walk with Jesus, to so walk with people so they'll walk with Jesus. Mentoring as a group leader is a bit more specific. It's that plus walking with a person or a couple of people with the aim that they become leaders who walk with others, who reproduce leaders who walk with others. You're, one of your, the, the whole idea of mentoring... It's not just mentoring generally, which is great, mentoring people, mentoring people, but it's focused on reproducing leaders for the gospel. Helping, basic mentoring is helping people learn to lead themselves. We call that self-control or discipline. Leader mentoring is helping people learn to lead others who will learn to lead others. That's not the same as member care or even mission. Member care is often helping people through difficult or, or challenging transitions of life Mission is reaching people with the gospel. I would describe member care in your group, and we'll get to that at another training session, but member care is helping people survive today so they can thrive tomorrow. But mentoring in the context of leadership development is communicating and demonstrating and celebrating a life where investment in others becomes a normal pattern of life. So they see you doing it. They see, I can do this too, and they begin to do it. I like you, and you may not see yourself that way right now, and that's okay if you don't, but my vision is you would see yourself as a potentially or an actual skilled mentor of people. And mentoring for you, reproducing your life in others, becomes like eating, sleeping, breathing. That wherever God puts you, you're looking for what He's doing in the lives of people, and you're jumping in there. So I believe God wants us to have this vision for our lives that includes mentoring becoming a lifelong reality. We eat, we breathe, we sleep, we invest in others. And mentoring is at the center of all the leader does because what we're praying for and working towards is a multiplication of other leaders through our ministry. Leading the actual Bible study, leading the meeting on whatever night you meet, is the urgent thing. You look up and it's tonight, and you're getting that done because it's going to be very obvious if you didn't get ready to lead group. Mentoring is not urgent. If you don't do it, it's kind of unseen by people. Leading your group is a tactical thing. It's an urgent, tactical thing, very clear if you don't do it. Mentoring is a strategic thing. It's, it's, and, and the truth is, I would rather have you delegate leading meetings Then delegate delegate mentoring members. And we can get into the the position in our minds we think, my primary role is lead a meeting. That's not really how I see it. It's important. But your primary role is, is reproduce your life in other people. I believe that. And mentoring is really right column work. You know, there's right column, left column. Right column, what I can control. Left column, what I can't control. Mentoring is... Right column, I can go after people. Whether they become leaders or not, that's left column. But whether I invest in people is right column. So, years ago, people would ask me about when are you going to plant a church at River? When are you going to plant a church at River? People from my denomination would ask me, when are you going to plant a church at River? And I would say, when I have a church planner from River. And, and I, I would tell them, I can't predict the future, but I can prepare for it. So what we did is we invested in people. We invested in people. And when God called those men to go plant, if we've been faithful to invest, then it came together in convergence and we had a church plant. We have four church plants and they're very successful. But if we just go out and say we're going to plant a church and we're just going to see what happens or go find somebody, I've, I've seen that not work very well. So you developing leaders through your life really is right column activity. You can decide to do it. And mentoring as a group leader is primarily about investing in your leader assistant or an emerging leader assistant. If you're a leader assistant, say, well, what's my job? Encourage your leader and invest in an emerging leader. Trace's vision for challenge, I love the way he says it, is to produce le- labors for the harvest and leaders for the church. I like that. That's exactly a catchy way of saying what we're about. Your mentoring is about producing leaders for the church. And by church, I mean Big C Church, the Kingdom of God, and Little C Church here at River, both. So the mentoring vision that I want you to have is investing in others who will lead God's people towards God's purposes. That's our mentoring vision. Leader vision is is to do that in a way where people become reproducers of leaders. So second question, they won't, I won't have, all of them won't have this long of an answer. Who am I to mentor anyone anyway? It's a great question. It's the right question. So who said this? He was, he was quoting what others were saying about him. In person, he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Who was that? Apostle Paul? That's what people were saying about him. He's unimpressive, his speaking amounts to nothing. And he wrote most of the New Testament. He also said this, I'm the least of the apostles and don't even deserve to be called an apostle. He didn't have an inferiority complex. Here's why he was able to be such an effective mentor. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. We don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. He, he got it. Who are you, Paul, to mentor nobody? Nobody. Who mentor anybody? I'm nobody. But fortunately, Paul wasn't proclaiming himself. He wasn't writing Paul in the hearts of people. He was writing Christ in the hearts of people. There needs to be direction towards Jesus in our lives if we're going to effectively lead people. So if our lives are completely out of sync with our message, we know that doesn't work. But there doesn't need to be perfection in the alignment between our lives and our message. There just needs to be a a clear direction. And people need a clear direction. And God's given it to us. So our personal weakness is never the problem. It's God's opportunity. Mentoring is not about being an expert. At its essence, it's about walk with Jesus and walk with others. So you pay careful attention to your own walk with Jesus. You have something to give to others. You say, well, that's the problem, Terry. I'm inconsistent or I'm a failure in my walk with Jesus. Well, again, the first and foremost important part of mentoring is to be what you want to see in others. You're not trying to see perfection in others. You're trying to see a Jesus direction in others. So here's a thing that I think is important to grasp as you struggle with, why do I need this burden? I mean, I'm leading groups. I have a job. I have kids. I have all these issues in my life. This, This really is an opportunity for you to be mobilized in your relationship with God in a way that those who are following you won't get. Because as you understand the need for you to set the pace for others, it is incentive, built in incentive incentive for you to walk with Jesus. And I feel it all the time. It is a burden and it's a blessing. There's there's times when I'm I want to I want to take a break or I want to think and act a certain way, and the Lord said, the Lord of the Holy Spirit said, You're gonna lead people and you're gonna do that? No. So I should have a heart that just does it out of love for Jesus, but I don't always. So I have this built-in motivation to come back, and then when I come back, I'm thinking, "This is what I want anyway." So this, this burden. Somebody, there we go. Somebody, this burden is a blessing. At the same time. So, third question: I don't know who should I should be investing in. I don't have a leader assistant or. I have a leader assistant and we're kind of working together. We're trying to see who's emerging as a leader and I'm just not seeing it. Sometimes it's a a trouble knowing who do I really give my investment in. And so you'll see in the handout that you can read later that there's two big categories under mentoring. And one is paying attention and the other is being intentional. Paying attention is look and see what God is doing and look for direction, not perfection. Being intentional is how does God want you, with your situation in life, their situation in life, to come alongside them to help some of the potential become actual? So the tension here is, is looking for the actual, looking at the actual, what are they doing, and then looking for the potential. Potential by self isn't enough. You can't eat a potential potato. You can only eat an actual potato. But actual by self isn't the whole story either, is it? Because that tiny plant above ground means food may be forming underground. So you nurture the plant. And so the the tension is to look for what's really going on and then see what might happen. Have vision for them. I've gotten calls over the years, received calls over the years, from people wanting to know if we can send them leaders from River. Once, many years ago, a friend who was on staff at a church that had over 20,000 people on Sundays called and wanted to know if I could send him a leader. And we had about 300 people. And I'm not criticizing them, but it's, it's pretty common for churches to go, we need leaders, somebody needs to be doing that. And it's my conviction that every church is responsible to raise up leaders for the church, for theirs and for others. And to do that, we have to see the actual, what God is doing, and then we have to have a vision to see the potential, what God might do. So, fourth question. I don't know how. I don't know how to mentor. I I haven't been mentored myself, maybe. Or I've tried it, it fails. It just doesn't work. You have been mentored many times in many ways. Formal, informal, intentional, unintentional. Everybody in this room has been mentored many, many times. It's not always been in a formal process. There is no secret code to be broken. It's, It's fairly simple. It's mostly showing up. It's mostly show up, spiritual mentoring, and this is going to sound like simplistic, meaning not real, but it's simple, but I don't think it's simplistic. It's mostly showing up. Show up with Jesus and keep showing up with Jesus. Show up with people and keep showing up with people. And I'm telling you, you do that for a long time and good stuff happens. I've watched it happen. I was, um, years ago, I was mentoring in Robert's school when he was over here at, where were you? Brooks. And they had a program. They, they still have a program, mentoring in schools. Unfortunate. They do? Yeah. And mentoring in school. And so for three years, I met with three boys for 45 minutes. And um, Robert ended up adopting one of the boys. But the studies showed that if an adult spent 45 minutes a week with these kids, they averaged a, a letter grade increase. Isn't that right, Robert? A letter grade increase. And I thought, well, but I don't want to tutor. Tutor is boring. You don't have to tutor. You can just show up. So I said, I can do that. So I'd show up. I'd hang out. I'd go, how are you doing in math? Bad. Do better in math. And then we'd go play football. That was my mentoring. I'm not kidding you. Robert knows. <laughs> how you doing in English? Bad. Do better in English. And then we'd throw the football around. And, and, and believe it or not, it works. It's incredible. So there's not a secret sauce. It really is, and and, and there was teachers were working with them, but the fact that I was going to ask them meant they went and got help. And so mentoring works if you you show up. If you want mentoring, you say, Yeah, but I get that, but I really want mentoring. There's some gaps. We can help you with that. Many of you have asked for mentoring, and we'll say, we'll line you up with somebody. So let us know. And maybe you've been mentoring a long time and say, I just needed someone to put fresh eyes on my mentoring. We can help you with that too. So when when people say I don't know how, it can mean several different things. It could be I'm lacking information. I don't have the content, the knowledge I need. Maybe they're insecure about their competency. My group leader, and you've heard this story, some of you, before, but my group leader when I was in seminary was an accountant named Randy Boyce. And Randy had a, had a small group full of seminary students, and he was super intimidated. And, but we were in his group for a reason. I mean, we, we knew a lot of Bible. Randy did a lot of Bible. And we, we watched him with his wife. So we wanted to be in his group. So he went to our pastor who encouraged him, Randy, don't be intimidated. These guys are in your group for a, purpose, for, for a reason. They're not looking for another seminary professor. They're looking for someone who's living this out in the real world. So here's a key verse for you. One of my favorite verses in Scripture, 1 Timothy 1, 1.5. The goal of our instruction is love. You heard this in, in, on Sunday recently, which comes from a pure heart, a sincere faith, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. The goal of our instruction is love. Do what you know. Demonstrate that in front of people. There, you don't have to have a, 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 a... There's no significant amount of knowledge you need Back a year ago, um, the, a guy named General Gardner, Greg Gardner, called me. He was the adjutant general for the state years ago and then retired, just retired from Homeland Security, and he called me and said, Terry, I've been asked to speak at the National Police Chaplains Conference, and I don't want to do it. He was a very public person, but he by nature is an introvert, so this was, this was just terribly painful to think about. He said, I don't think I'm qualified. He said, I don't know what to say. I don't have anything to say. And so I, he, he says, I'm calling you, and, and based on what I hear from you, I'm going to decide if I want to do this or not. And I said, did you struggle as a commander? He said, yeah, I struggled a lot. He said, I was super lonely. So what did that look like? And he told me, what would have helped? He said, I wish I would have had a, a chaplain I trusted to talk to. Just talk to. I went through a lot of, he, he went through a divorce and a lot of terrible things. And he got done, I said, tell him that. I said, tell him what? Tell him that. Tell him I was super lonely. I'd have loved to have a chaplain to talk to. And so he went to this conference and he talked to him and he told him that. And it was a resounding success. They all wanted to hang around and, and listen to him. He didn't need some secret knowledge. I said, you don't need to know what chaplains do. They know what they do. You just need to be yourself in front of them. And he was. could be a motivation issue. How do I make this a priority? I don't have the time for it, the energy for it. Often motivation issues are... I don't have a vision, I can't see it, or I'm, my, I'm, I'm limiting the options, you know, I'm, I'm putting myself in some kind of a box, like I don't have time. Um, Christy and, and Lindsay, they, they, they do mutual mentoring at the Y, they work out together. Neil and Adam mentor while Adam works on Neil's house, because <laughs> Adam is really good at it, and, and, and Neil is getting good at it, no, really, and they watch kids together. But there's, but but doing things that they're going to do together. So, here's a here's a challenge. If 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 you have a motivation, you know, like I just don't see how it fits in my life. Consider taking this to God in your quiet time. Say, God, here's my life, such as it is. Here's I am. Here's who I am. You know who I am. And um, would you give me your vision, your heart, your perspective, to raise up leaders for the church? And then would you give me fruit? Just take that prayer to him. Write it down and then watch and see what God does. If you don't want to pray it, if you don't want to do it, then by all means don't pray it. But if if you really are struggling with vision and perspective, then take it to God and say, God, this, this is what I want. This is what I want to want. Would you help me? could be an application issue. I just don't feel like I have the skill. I'm bad at this. People aren't encouraged by me. People aren't helped by me. I mean, when I'm meeting with people, they're, they're visibly trying to stifle yawns. I haven't reproduced any leaders. <laughs> um, maybe they're yawning because they're tired. And, and maybe you can just get some help. And, and there's people who can help you. Even if you're an experienced mentor, you can get some help. Perhaps you talk too much. Perhaps you talk too little. Maybe it's just right. I, had a, I knew a guy who was the, the number one B-1 um, bomber engine um, expert in the world, he was the, had the most experience, and he would, and it would take him about um, um, two months to overhaul these engines, one one of these B1 engines, really complicated engines. And he said, at the end of doing overhaul and put together, he said, I would I would always get one of the youth, the young trainees come over and look at it. He said they could almost always find something because they they looked at it with fresh eyes. I'm so used to looking at it, I stop seeing things. And so even if you're a seasoned mentor, Maybe you want some fresh eyes. Skills comes through practice. We're gonna, we're, you're not going to mess anybody up. I don't, you're not going to mess anybody up. But if you mess up, you fess up and move on. Some of my most profound mentoring moments have been when my mentors confess their mistakes. So don't worry about failing. Failing is, failing is not going to remove your ability to mentor. If you fail and say, you know what, I, I shouldn't have talked about that person like that in front of you. That was gossip. Would you forgive me you didn't lose credibility, you gained credibility, and you just mentored in that moment. So failing in mentoring only occurs when we fail to mentor, not when we fail as mentors. so there's more in um, the handout about keeping your mentoring simple and sustainable and transferable. so we 're not going to go into that, but that's important. To my great shame, when I was in, when I was in seminary I I was a part of a young man coming to faith in Christ. He was maybe 18, 19. And so he came to Christ. It was a, I think it was an authentic conversion. And I got with him and I gave him a small stack of seminary books. And then after that, I could not find him. He ran from me. I would have run from me too. It was ridiculous. So keep it simple. 1 Timothy 1.5. There are some models for mentoring and discipleship that are super complex, very labor intensive. You don't have to do that. I've become a minimalist in terms of what's most important in mentoring. The difference maker to me is walk with Jesus, walk with a person, help that person learn to say yes to Jesus. Don't tell them to say yes, but just help them hear what God is saying and encourage them onto the good path. Jesus summed up the Bible. Moses had 613 laws. He summed up the Bible with this. Love God, love people. That's pretty minimalistic. I like it. I'm also a pragmatist at heart. I like to do what actually works. And to know what works, I've got to start with what do I want to see happen? What am I after in the life of a person? I'm after someone who's faithfully walking with Jesus and loving people, loving God and loving people. Do I want them to be experts in systematic theology and reform theology and apology? I don't really care. If they want to, that's great. I can tell them books. I like to read books. I like that stuff. But what I really care about is 1 Timothy 1.5. Love that flows from a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. That's what, I, that's what I want to see. So our ministry needs to be simple, non-complex, sustainable. We can stay at it no matter where we are. And transferable. It doesn't take a special background, special training to do this. Pretty much anyone can do it. One of the signs of, of really brilliance is, is, to, is to let other people see that what you're doing is simple. Pride wants to make it look like this is pretty complex. You know, you don't want to try this. this is, they leave this to the experts. But humility says, you can do this. My dad went, had a house in Shreveport that was, lived, that was right next to a brain surgeon. And he said, I would have dinner with that brain surgeon at the end of, at the end of two hours. I think, I can do brain surgery, ain't no big deal. That's how much, that's how this guy would approach it. He was so humble. I'm, thank God he didn't try it, but he would, but this guy was so humble, he's like, okay, now brain surgery, you know, he'd get all somber. The guy go, ah, Roger, look, you need to do this, do that, do this, do this, you know. And, and he was he was communicating really humility. So here's number five. My group wants to go deeper. I hear that. My group wants to go deeper. I'll tread sort of lightly here. You can't go deeper than love God and love people. You can't. It's not possible. You say, well, yeah, but we want to study systematic theology. Study systematic theology. I've read a lot of whole systematic theology books, and I'm telling you, you can't go deeper than love God and love people. You can gather more information, and it, and it either will or won't help you love God and love people. You can learn, learn more stuff about the God in the Bible, but you can't go deeper than 1 Timothy 1.5. So let me say this when you hear that from people, and I'm not saying you should um, look down on people or, or stifle them, but I want you to hear I just want to go deeper as a code for something deeper in them. When people in groups say, the group's just not meeting my needs, I want to go deeper. That's code for something deeper in them. And I'll tell you what some of it might be. And I'm not being critical here. I'm not thinking about the specific person. I really am trying to be evaluating and helping you discern what may be going on in their heart. Often it's code for, I'm bored. I'm spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, relationally bored, and I want my group to make me not bored. You can't. You can't do that for people. I'm struggling with, I'm, I'm struggling with issues in my life, and I think the answer must be go deeper. I don't know what that means exactly, but it must be go deeper. That means that they're looking for external solutions to internal problems. You can't help them with that. I want to go deeper. Which, here's an, its code for nothing else has worked that well for me. I think if I could just get more information, it will fix what ails me. It won't. I like information. Theology is information about God. It's the best information there is. But you learn theology to love God and love people. So stay on track. Don't get sidetracked by, I want to go deeper. If someone really wants to go deeper, they already are. You can see it. Come alongside them and help them. You can give them books to read. If you don't know what books to give them to read, and they really do, I really do want to learn. Maybe God's doing something in them and they want to learn in this area. If you don't know what books to meet, I can give, I can give you a list Maybe they're called to go to seminary. Some people are. Maybe they're just wrestling with a call to vocational ministry, and that's part of it. Maybe they need to be tested, not tricked, but tested, so they can understand what they're asking. So if someone says, I want to go deeper, give them them an assignment that will involve serving someone tangibly, not collecting more theological information and you'll see if they're serious about it or if they understand what it means. I want to go deeper. Great. Meet me on Saturday, and we're going to go clean this widow's house. Did you hear what I just said? I want to go deeper. I heard you. Meet me on Saturday, and we're we'll going to clean this widow's house. And you're not tricking them. You're testing them. The single reason for learning more theology is to love God and love God by loving people. Deeper is always faith expressed in love. We study what to believe in order that we might become something. And so the facts of theology are super important. And, and you may be called to read theology. You may be called to, I don't want to read that. I, I, I'm good. I got 1 Timothy 1, 5 down. I've got the Great Commandment down. I'm good to go. Well, then you're good to go. Go have your quiet times and go love people. But if you want to learn more information... If you don't understand the reason for that, all it's going to do is mess you up. The devil knows theology better than any theologian ever has. And it's not impacted his values. Darwin studied theology. Stalin studied theology. I know spiritual apostasy is a mystery, but Joshua Harris studied theology, taught theology, and I won't presume to know all that happened, but he had no lack of information, no lack of theology, and he walked away from the gospel. So we we constantly press into application. As you probably know, I could not be any more convinced than I am. 1 Timothy 1.5 is foundational. The Bible says this, what does it mean, what do we do? The Bible says this, what does it mean, what do we do? say, well, I've got a person in my group that needs specialized attention. And we're doing this and, and they're a brand new believer they're struggling with this. well then give them specialized attention. do it one to one or ask someone else to do it. I had a friend who needed special attention from our group and him and I've met every couple of weeks and uh, we've gone through books individually that the group was not going to go through. He came to Christ in January he was baptized two weeks ago. Give them specialized attention, but you don't have to you don't have to Try to move the group that direction. So Let me give you some general thoughts on mentoring. And these are just going to be, a, don't fit under a specific question, but just some general thoughts. Don't try to hit home runs with people. There's a temptation to try to hit a home run. Die to the desire to say something earth-shaking, life-changing. Just get base hits. And we, I think we all struggle with this. Sunday mornings, I used to struggle with, I want to hit a home run. No. You want to be faithful. Get a base hit. Get a whole bunch of base hits over 30 years and people's lives change. I'm going to meet with Grant. i got to say something profound. No, I don't. I just got to... We sat on my back porch on Monday and I just... What are we going to do? We're going to hang out. I'm going to see what God wants me to say, if anything. Just get base hits. Don't feel the need to have answers. Listen. Speak if you should. Don't shrink back from challenge if you should give one. Don't measure too soon. You don't know what's going on in that person. You say, I've been meeting with this person, getting time with this person for a year, and nothing's happened. You don't know that. You really don't. There's a story my evangelism professor told me. It's a True story. Um, Dr. Fish, he's gone to heaven, but he was my favorite professor. He was my mentor in seminary. And I don't know all the facts, but there was a, a city in, in Western Europe that a lot of troops went through, a small city, a lot of troops went through, World War II time frame. And he would go out and he would just ask people on the streets, excuse me, if you die tonight, do you know for sure if you go to heaven or not? Thank you and go on. Not the best evangelism method I've ever heard, but that's what he did. He was doing what he knew to do. And he asked people that for years there was a service member who came through right after the war, and the guy asked him that. He, didn't, he went back to his room, he blew the guy off, went back to his room, and it worked on him, it worked on him, it worked on him. He got hold of a Bible, committed his life to Christ, became a chaplain, started preaching, and as he was preaching post-World War II era, everywhere he'd go, he'd t- tell his testimony, someone would come up and say, you know, that old guy came up to me on the street too, and I came to Christ too. So he finally went back to that city, the facts, I've lost the facts now because it's been too long. And he started asking around, he goes, that guy is blind, he doesn't get out anymore, but here he's still alive. So he went back, knocked on the door, the old guy comes to the door, and he tells him, I came to Christ, and he said, I go, everywhere I go, not everywhere, but I go a lot of places, and I run into people who came to Christ just because you're asking that question. And he said, you know, I did that for 30 years, this is the first time I've heard of any fruit from that. So, you don't know. You don't, don't want to measure too soon. You measure by faithfulness, not by visible fruit. Act in line with your own personality, your own life situation, the relational chemistry. You say, well, Terry, this, I have a relationship with someone I'm meeting with, and it's kind of awkward. That's been true for me in a lot of relationships. It feels awkward at first. But keep keeps showing up, and, it, and, and it, the, you guys know this, it becomes less awkward. Just stay after it. Lean into the wind that blows in your life. Do you need to listen more? Then lean back. Do you need to speak more? Then lean forward. Be personal, but don't make it about you. A lot of times you're going to find yourself, especially in adult ministry, in lateral mentoring relationships. Now, You guys, Evan, Robert, and you guys are in more of a lateral, and, and you girls are in a lateral, more of a lateral mentoring relationship. That's, that's true for most of my relationships now. And so you're... you're you, you 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 may have a positional leadership, and then your your actual mentoring can be lateral. You know, um, Doug and I we're in a we're in a, I, I'm his leader, he's my leader assistant, but we get together is a lot of lateral mentoring, cross pollinating, sharing, going on. That's okay. Don't worry about that. Thrive on that. You know, if you're the, if you're the designated leader, the positional leader, then step up and take that role. You say, Well, I'm, I'm the leader assistant, and I'm the leader. This is not about status. This is just about roles which God has you in, but you're both perceived as leaders. One of the things that, that I love about the military, that I used to hate about the military, is the salute. Because it, it felt awkward, it always felt like, you know, kind of like the person was subservient. And when I was deployed, I would have to walk a mile from where I lived to where I worked, and so I'm walking by all these enlisted, so it's like a whole mile of doing this. And um, sometimes I would just walk like this. (laughs) And what I didn't get until pretty recently is is that the, the enlisted person is not just saluting me, I'm saluting him or her, right? And the listed person is taking the initiative to initiate this. The, and it's, a, it's, it's an ancient show of mutual respect. And so it's not like... So you can, have a, you can have a seasoned chief master sergeant who knows way more than this second lieutenant, and the chief will initiate a salute to this second lieutenant who doesn't even know how to tie his boots yet. And, and the, the second lieutenant will respond back with, this is about mutual respect. If Wes salutes me... He's not saluting me. We're saluting each other. And so mutual, I mean, peer-to-peer mentoring is not about who's the boss, who's a leader. It's about we have this, we, we wear the same uniform, we have the same vision, the same goal. So get a vision for raising up leaders for the church. It's very exciting stuff. You have, a, you have an opportunity from Wichita, Kansas to have an impact that reaches to the ends of the earth, to the ends of time. I first heard that when I was in college and it inspired me. And you say, well, that sounds like hyperbole. It's not hyperbole. There are people in this room who have impacted people who are, whose, whose impact is spread out across the globe and it will go on to the end of time. Because impact on people will not die when those people die. Your business will. Your house will go away. You're not taking your money. David Koch didn't take any money with him. None of that billion dollars went with him. But impact on people will go on to the ends of the earth, the ends of time. Kevin knew he's kind of a local mentoring legend and, and really kind of a regional mentoring level. But I'm going to tell you a secret about Kevin. Kevin, don't listen to this. It's not about his brilliance. He's a very smart guy. But I'll describe why Kevin's a good mentor. Grit. Grit. I love that word, grit. Put, put grit up there. Put my grit pictures up. There he is you got to love that. That's not Kevin. That's John Wayne. And there was a remake, and I love the remake. I love the original, I love the remake, and, and for many reasons, not the least of which, that is such a great title for a movie, True Grit. And my wife hates grit. She hates all things grit. She's like the princess in the pea, but she does have grit. She doesn't like sand in her pillow, sand in her shoe, but she's got grit. Listen to what Rebecca McLaughlin in her great book Confronting Christianity wrote. And it sounds like she's hostile to Christianity, but she's pro-Christianity. Unglamorous as they are, perseverance and self-control appear to be the key predictors of flourishing across a range of indexes. Psychologist Angela Duckworth suggests that the quality of grit, which she defines as passion and perseverance for very long-term goals, can be more predictive of a person's success than social intelligence, good looks, health, or IQ. Mentoring is mostly about spiritual grit. Keep showing up. Show up with Jesus, show up with others. You see Paul's mentoring grit in many places, not the least of which is, is in Galatians 4:19, where he says, My dear children, for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He had grit. So here, here's, a, here's, a, here's a mentor's prayer. And I, got, I borrowed this from one of my, you, some of you heard the story, but my dad had his, a pipeline buddy named Herman Rose, Herman Leon Rose. And Herman came to Christ in his 60s. He was a World War II uh, Navy vet, rough old pipeline guy. He came to Christ as an old man. And my brother Russell asked Herman, Um, Herman, he just walked to Mr. Rose. We called him Mr. Rose. He was like my granddad. Mr. Rose, I heard you came to Christ. Some of you have heard this story. He goes, yeah, Russell, God didn't get no bargain here. I love that story. So here's a mentor's prayer. God, you didn't get any bargain here. I'm not much. I'm all yours. Let's go. For your glory, for the good of people, help me not make life about me. So when you live with this kind of sanctified grit, you're going to see impact. It's going to happen. You're making an eternal global impact. I'm not selling anything here. You guys are already in. I'm telling you.